Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 15 of the Pitch Contact podcast, part of the Twins Talk Network. I'm your host, Ben Jones from Twinkie Town, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Ka of PitcherList. John, what do you think Kyle Farmer offered as special incentives to the Twins offense on Friday? Uh, piggyback rides. That's got to be the only reason I would score eight runs against the Orioles, right? It's got to be, and I got to say, Kyle, you really dropped the ball the next two games, so we're going to need some better <laughs> incentives next time around. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was really exciting to, you know, in classic Twins fashion, um, have a really great game after, you know, a players-only meeting, and then follow that up with two more just, well, I guess we're only going to put up, you know, uh, two runs cumulatively over the next two games. Maybe the solution is a players-only meeting after every single game, Yeah, and... You know, because it does seem like they do those player-only meetings, and then sometimes it's one game, sometimes it's two games, but the offense plays a little better, and then it reverts. And I know, really, it's just luck. Mm-hmm. But right. at this point, you know, I, I think we've gone to the point where you just try anything, right? Like, just do piggyback rides, bring some flowers into the dugout, like whatever you got to do to bring a different vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. You know, maybe, maybe instead of uh, the vest, maybe you – you bring in some other new home run incentive for people to, to have fun with. I don't know. Uh, you know, well, baseball players and I guess baseball fans are all superstitious. So <laughs> anything that works to get runs going, I think uh, that's all we care about. Literally anything. All right. As a reminder, uh, be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, leave a five-star review if you feel so inclined. And for now, you can still follow us on Twitter at Twins Talk Pod if you have any uh, rates left from Elon. So uh, in the future, <laughs> yeah. we may have some future places for uh, you to follow us on social. But for now, Twitter is the place to be. Yeah, I, I think maybe the Twins are rate limited or something. That might be an issue. <laughs> rate limited with runs. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, in the middle of the game yesterday, I hit my stupid, dumbass rate limit for Twitter and in literally in the middle of the game. So I'm kind of following along on Twitter, like you do trying to get some updates like, Oh, Royce Lewis pulled up hurt. Wonder what that's about. Mm -hmm. Couldn't tell you. Couldn't find it on Twitter. So yeah, (laughs) I, yeah, I haven't been rate limited yet. I don't know what that, that feels like, but, um, it probably just means you're spending a healthy amount of time off of Twitter. I'd like to think that. I'd like to think that. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so today we'll be going over the Braves and Royals or and Orioles series, as always, going over all of the games from the last week uh, and all of the, frankly, just bad stuff that happened along the way. And then we'll give a quick recap on some news and notes from around the Twins this week as well uh, before we jump into next week's preview. So first, let's start off with our weekly snapshot. The Twins were 2-4 and four last week. Uh, they got swept by Atlanta, and then they did win the series over Baltimore. Felt like they probably could have swept that one. Uh, after the sweep, of, uh, they were swept by Atlanta. They had the players-only meeting we were talking about earlier. Uh, and I saw a funny tweet about that, which was a Braves fan basically just being like, I think this is the third players-only meeting the Braves have caused for opposing <laughs> teams this year. Uh, they're, they're very good, right? And so the, yes. I think there's nothing wrong with getting swept by the Braves, but definitely the way it happened wasn't ideal. Yeah, I mean, they, they're, they you know, they've won 50 games this season already. Um, they're firmly in, you know, first place in the NL East. Um, they're a really good team. We'll talk about it a little bit more in depth. But yeah, the I wasn't expecting a sweep, but I wasn't surprised when it happened. Yeah, definitely. Uh, they're 42 and 43 on the season. They are currently tied for first in AL Central with the Guardians. The Guardians were in sole place in first uh, for, I think, like 24 hours, if that. 
Yep. They won a game and then and the Twins off day, they lost a game. So the Twins jumped back ahead. So uh, it's it's going back and forth uh, in mediocrity. My only other note that I have here is the Twins were projected to be a 500 team. They're playing like a 500 team. Uh, any offensive improvement at all, though, and they would be well above it, which we've talked about at length. We won't harp on too much more, but if you can just get any signs of life out of the offense, mm-hmm. I think the Twins are going to be in a great spot. Yeah, I was looking at um, baseball references, war standings, uh, kind of in prep for the podcast. And currently for the Twins, their pitchers are number one in war uh, for for the league. Uh, but then their batters are, I believe, like kind of just right average like 15th 16th essentially at at minus 0.8 war so literally if the the twins played one game above replacement um (laughs) we could be like five games over 500 it it could be incredible yeah the the twins have lost so many games just because they haven't been able to put up three or four runs and so um yeah they, they do have these explosions and other than that it's been pretty it's been pretty disappointing the last a uh, couple weeks. So mm-hmm. let's get into it. Let's start with the Brave series and some some bad news, starting with game one. Yeah. So this was a 4-1 loss. Uh, Sonny Gray was the starter of mention. 6.2 innings with three earned runs, seven hits, one walk, and five strikeouts. Um, despite giving up seven hits, actually, his all his pitches were pretty solid. The curveball, the slider, and the cutter were the main ones that led the way, and uh, he was doing good work with that. Um, ultimately, though, gave up you know, three runs. One of them came off a solo homer to Marcelo Zuna that turned the game from a one zero twins lead to a two, uh, sorry, a one, one tie to a two, one Atlanta lead. Um, and then he let one man on the base. I believe it was Michael Harris. Um, yeah. uh, you know, Kate left the game. Then Emilio Pagan came in, probably gave up a two run homer to Ronald Acuna jr. Honestly, I'm not going to be too disappointed about that. Acuna is going to win the national league MVP barring injury. So, if he's going to hit off a homer off anyone, it might as well be Emilio Pagan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But that, yeah, but that ended up into three yard runs for Sonny Gray. So despite a, honestly a pretty solid outing, uh, the line just looks a little bad because of the two, um, because of the the one run that he let it that was let in afterwards. Yeah, I know there were a lot of fans frustrated uh, with Emilio Pagan being the one coming in in that situation. But given the state of the bullpen now, without Theobar, without Brock Stewart, without Jorge Lopez, it's literally just Griffin Jacks and Yohan Duran at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And so literally, unless you have a lead, I don't think the Twins can afford to run out Jacks or Duran. And so your options after that are Pagan and Josh Winder and a few others. So mm-hmm. it's it's very limited. Right. It, it ain't pretty. Um we're we're not going to talk too much about the relievers this week, but um, it, you know another big name which we briefly mentioned last week that was that was called up was Jordan uh, Balazovic and yeah um, he probably also gave up a homer to Ronald Cunha Jr. <laughs> in the next game so you know Emilio Pagan Jordan Balazovic like you know at that point we're just grasping at straws on who's like actually going to be the, the the third reliever in this in this pen. I mean, a lot of times there's not going to be one. It's going to be Jackson and two innings of Duran. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We really need some more complete games out of these uh, twins. <laughs> I think is that what, yeah, we're, exactly. what we're hearing. Uh, in terms of the offense, we did score one run. Uh, we actually did get a few base winners in the first inning, uh, but ultimately couldn't get any home. Stranding two. Uh, Joey Gallo hit a monster homer to deep center. Of course, we were facing Spencer Strider, who is kind of in the running for the Anil Cy Young. He's, he hasn't completely wrapped it up. We're only halfway through the season, but he's yeah. definitely a front runner for that race. Um, he dominated us for the remainder of the night. I believe he finished with 10 strikeouts on the evening. Um, there was an opportunity to tie the game in the eighth. Carlos Correa was up to bat. Uh, there was two men on base, ended up flying out to left. Um, so just some missed opportunities there to uh, get some more runs on the board. But um, in classic Twins faction, uh, just one run. Yeah. The uh, what was actually frustrating about these games in general was the Twins had plenty of chances. This game is a great example, right? They oh, had yeah. a chance to tie it and they just don't capitalize. And there's very little faith, I think, in anybody that they're going to capitalize on yep. those opportunities. Yeah, we'll talk about it at the end of game three. But there were some stats that were circling around Twins Twitter, just kind of showing how inept this offense was. But we'll, yeah. we'll get to that in a little bit because we're moving on to game two, which was a 6-2 loss. Um, this was Joe Ryan's turn to start in the rotation, and he uh, had a big dud. Let's just call it that. Three innings, six earned runs, nine hits, no walks, and five strikeouts. 
he gave up five homers with three of those homers in the first inning. So that basically sewed up the game. Um, it was a 4-1, I think, lead by the end of the first. Yeah. Um, his fastball was atrocious. It just wasn't working. Of course, on the flip side, then, that also meant that his secondaries were fine. Um, the splitter was pretty well lo- located. It was, it was uh, down in... And I believe um, to the batter. So, you know, kind of just exactly where he wanted to put it. Slider was generating whiffs as well. I think it had five on the night. Um, but his main pitch is his fastball. And he gave up, I believe, three homers on the fastball alone. Um, it just wasn't working. The Atlanta hitters were all over it. Um, yeah. it. They weren't necessarily located great. I mean, two of the fastballs, I think, were kind of upper middle of the zone. Um, and, you know, when you have batters like Matt Olson, uh, Austin Riley, um, you know, Acuna Jr., for example, they they can take a poorly located pitch, no matter how good it is, like a fastball, even if it's slightly deceptive, and just take it yard. So, um, yeah, just a really bad start for Joe Ryan. Um, nice thing was, I guess, that after three innings, the, the bullpen was able to come in and not give up any more runs. But, um, yeah, just a really unfortunate start here. Yeah, the, the Braves are one of the best fastball hitting teams in baseball. And so Joe Ryan being mostly a fastball pitcher wasn't entirely surprising they were able to get on him. Maybe, you know, it was a little more surprising to this extent that they did with the five mm-hmm. home runs. But um, only the six runs on the five homers, if you're looking for positive signs, right? right. There, there weren't a ton of uh, base runners outside of the home runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other good news, too, was uh, – given the bad state of the bullpen, they are chock full of long relievers. So they were ready yeah. to handle a short start. Yep. Uh, what was probably surprising here was, I mean, I mean, obviously when you give up six certain runs, like you're going to get pulled pretty early, but he lasted until 82 pitches in three yeah. innings. So just very inefficient as well overall for, for the, for his start. So um, I don't think it was anything to worry about. No, um, he takes it's the, the Braves bump. again. It, exactly. Like if they're a really good offense, they're going to tee off on you. Um, and so, yeah, just, just not a great outing. The, uh, the one thing where this might've mattered was this probably eliminated Joe Ryan's chance of being an all-star just a- after this, the overall numbers look a little more bloated he looks a lot worse mm-hmm. than he really has been this season. And so the twins were never going to get more than one all-star, but this one I think really took Joe out of the running. Yeah. Well, unfortunate. Uh, the bats, on the other hand, also didn't do much, much. But um, I guess you know when you give up when your when your starting pitcher gives up five homers, um, it's it's tough to come back from that. But like you mentioned, they only gave up six runs, so the offense yeah. still technically had a shot. League average for runs per game is four and a half, so you know right. you just do a little bit better than average, and you could potentially tie the game. Similar to game one, they were able to get runners on base in the first inning. Uh, they even also managed to have more hits than strikeouts in this game. Uh, but again, they just couldn't really get anything going um, in succession. 0 for 10 with runners in scoring position. Uh, just really incapable of doing anything when people are on the bases. Yeah, which is interesting because it felt like a lot of the story had been before this. Okay, guys aren't getting on base. You know, mm-hmm. It's just not happening at all. And then when they did get on base, they're actually hitting pretty well with the runners in scoring position. And then this week was kind of the exact opposite. Right, exactly. Uh, and game three was the nail in the coffin, a 3-0 loss. Kenta Maeda was a starter, his second start after coming back from the IL. Five innings with two earned runs, five hits, two walks, and four strikeouts. Honestly, another solid outing from Maeda, uh, especially coming against this hot Atlanta offense. We've already seen what they could do. The splitter and the slider were working really well together and getting whiffs. Those were his two main pitches. His third main pitch, the, the four-seamer, was getting plenty of strikes as well. So it looks like at least his stuff is playing really well. Yeah, some other I, positives. I, uh, was that his velocity was up on the fastball. I thought that was encouraging because Maeda, obviously, he's a he's a guy who's hovering in the nineties, but you just want to make sure that he is healthy. And I think fastball velocity is one of the clearest things to see there. Definitely, I came on the podcast last week and I said, "There's no way the Twins let Kenta Maeda start against the Braves." I was wrong, and he did a very good job. So yeah. good on Kenta. Turns out the Twins know more about baseball than I do. Who could have yeah. thought? Ironically, though, they did end up having the bullpen game because Joe Ryan only lasted three innings. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> it was kind of like Joe Ryan was an opener, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the one thing he had to notice, too, was his pitch count was, I think, it was 83 pitches for the day. Um, and his last one was, last start was 82. So the Twins are clearly limiting him to, like, around that that level, which, like we've mentioned, is a little worrying when he can only go five innings because that means you've got four innings for a bullpen that struggles to put two innings together. Um, yeah. 
So that that will be interesting to see how the team manages this um, as the season goes on. I know it, it's almost like we're we're gonna have one starter that we can't get six or seven innings out of, and so it's such a different experience from Twins baseball, mm-hmm. where you know Chris Archer, Dylan Bundy, Rich Hill, uh, whoever you want to go through over the last couple of years, it's still a much better position to be in uh, than normally. But you know it just really puts into perspective how good Ryan and Sonny Gray and Pablo Lopez and Bailey Ober have been this year. Yeah. Uh, the bats here, obviously a three zero loss. They basically did nothing, but probably the most embarrassing thing was that they were going up against Kobe Allard, who was having, who was making his season debut after coming off the 60 day IL. Um, sorry, his season starting debut, I should say he, he did have a couple, um, a couple of relief appearances, I believe, but yeah. he was just coming off the 60 day IL and the first inning was just classic twins, just being terrible at their job in terms of hitting, um, Horrible play discipline. All three batters, it was Solano, Buxton, and then Royce Lewis, struck out on high fastballs. With Buxton and Royce, it was actually like really bad. Um, yeah. I don't know if you saw those those uh, plate appearances, but yep. the fastballs were basically like a foot above the zone. Um, Solano could be a little excused because it was more like maybe half a foot, but it was still just it, no one should be swinging at things like that. And especially against a pitcher who's not good. He came to the game with a career ERA over six. And right. so, like, th- this is a not good pitcher that the Twins come in and make him look like an ace, which is what we've seen way too often this year. Mm-hmm. And it's just – it's so frustrating because you see someone like Byron Buxton, who has plenty of games, plenty of plate appearances under his belt, swing at a pitch like that fastball that was not even close. Like, yeah. it's just baffling. Royce Lewis, I almost give a little bit more of a pass to because he has played so few games in the last few years. And he's been mm-hmm. very good regardless. But right. that, that's what he does. He swings at everything. He's not trying to take walks. He's going. He's up there to swing, and that's just what he's going to do. But yeah. Buxton especially, like, you really want to see something better out of him. Right. It, and it was – it's a, it's a two strike count. Like he's not trying to steal a called strike with a curveball, Right. You know, like that, the uh, granted, I'm not a major league batter. So I, <laughs> I, my opinion really means Jack in this, in this, this whole conversation, but leaving the hand, it's clearly high, right? Like, yeah. I, obviously we have the advantage of watching in slow-mo. We're also watching from the perspective of behind the pitcher. So it's a little bit easier for, for viewers to see movement compared to batters. Um, but still, it was just it it just it just looked terrible. Yeah, they, they always say you know when you're going for that high fastball, the swing and miss, you don't want to go too high, right? They always say like chin high fastball, that's where you mm-hmm. want to put it. It's out of the zone; they're not going to be able to hit it. This right. was like at his forehead, like right. it, it wasn't. It was not anywhere close to the strike zone, and so you it it just is an extra bad look when the offense is struggling so poorly, mm-hmm. and then all that's going to go around Twitter all day is Byron Buxton swinging at a pitch that the catcher had to stand up to be able to catch you right know? yeah it's like shades of you know speaking of atlanta eddie rosario just yeah. some of the really <laughs> terrible plate appearances that we had to deal with in those days yeah um so yeah ended up they finished with 14 strikeouts on the day couldn't do anything with runners in scoring position as we mentioned across twins twitter basically after this game uh it was they went they ultimately went for 0 for 23 with runners in scoring position during the series and i believe that's like the worst mark um, in terms of like number of plate appearances where you've gone over, you know, X amount uh, in the majors in a long, long while. I can't remember the exact number they said on the broadcast, but essentially it was they were historically bad. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, uh, they were whiffing on 19% of pitches uh, and half of those whiffs were on balls that were outside the zone, which I don't necessarily want to harp on too much because that's kind of what, you know, sliders and change-ups and curveballs are designed to do. They're supposed to be out of the zone. You're supposed to swing on them. That's what pitchers do to get whips. But at the same time, like, that's just a horrible percentage in general. Like, you shouldn't be whiffing that much, and especially on pitches outside the zone. And it's about the context, too. Like, against Spencer Strider, the best – like, I think he has the best strikeout rate in the history of baseball. Yeah. Uh, which he's two years in, whatever, but still best strikeout rate in the history of mm-hmm. baseball. That's one thing. But against Bryce Elder, who doesn't strike people out on purpose, that's the type of pitcher he is. Yep. Against Kobe Allard, who is not a good pitcher, mm-hmm. that's where it gets really frustrating. Right, exactly. And of course, all that frustration led to Rocco being pretty pissed off in his um, yeah. in his uh, manager post game interview. Um, you know, as we mentioned, the players had a players only meeting. They were talking about hitting strategy. And ultimately, I believe, you know, kind of Rocco and the team decided, hey, like we're going to have the pit that we're going to have the batters like 
kind of dictate hitting strategy. They're going to be here with the coaches or we're going to talk about what he want to do. It's not just going to be the team dictating, you know, what we want to do in terms of hitting strategy. Um, of course, that also begs the question then, like, we've known for the entire season that this team strikes out and is fairly in like just unproductive in all these winners and scoring position situations. Right. Um, why did it take this long to kind of figure out what, what's the way, how do we want to fix this? Do you, do you want a real answer or an encouraging answer? <laughs> Let's take the, the bad news first and the good news. Because okay. Twins fans were designed to be pessimistic. Exactly. The, the bad news is they probably aren't changing anything, right? <laughs> like you, you can't make a whole full shift of your offensive strategy in the middle yes. of the season. It just doesn't work like that. Right. You know, the players are still the same, the approach they've been doing, you just can't really make those kinds of shifts. And so, mm-hmm. It's, it's a PR move, right? Of like the players, I'm sure they were very serious about it. They were talking about it, but that's just not going to happen. And mm-hmm. there is a part of this where it's just, they just need to do better, right? The strategy mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the problem, right? But it's the execution of it. It's actually, you know, their, their strategy essentially has been find a mistake, wait for a mistake. A lot of the problems yep. has been, especially in the last couple of weeks, is they're not taking advantage of the mistakes. They're watching mm-hmm. strikes come right down the middle, not swinging at them, and then they're in one, two, oh, two counts, and they have nothing to do. And so right. the reality is they're probably not doing it. This was probably more of a voice the frustrations, talk about it. Mm-hmm. Hey, team, let's get together. Let's figure stuff out. What's yep. going on? Then an actual like strategy shift. Um, the good news is I, I think that sometimes – I mentioned this before, but when you're in this big of a rut, you have so many players underperforming. Carlos Correa's OPS is back under 700. Byron Buxton is striking out like crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max Kepler, ironically, has been actually pretty decent. The last He's actually like one two. of the good batters on the right, team right exactly. now. Exactly. But the, the point being is sometimes you just got to do something different. And so in this case, I think that's mostly what shifting the hitting strategy meetings to be more player focused is about. Mm-hmm. What player led is about is let's just do something different so that we can hear different voices. We can try something else. And then mm-hmm. maybe that just something clicks. Right. Cause there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with like waiting on a mistake, right? Like, right. Um, scouting in the major leagues is so good now with, you know, Hawkeye tracking and, um, like you're able to figure out release points and things like that. And what type of pitches are coming at you. And that's obviously forced pitchers to be more creative with their release points and things like that. But oftentimes like batters are sitting on a specific pitch, right? They're like, we know that his sliders are more often going to be mistakes. So we're just going to sit slider or, you know, the, this guy's fastball and like can kind of ride a little bit lower in the zone. And so we're going to, you know, wait on that. Right. And that's sometimes where you can, can get frustrated by some of these pitches that look very hittable and they're not swinging at it because they're like, that's not the pitch that I want to hit. Um, that being said though, there is kind of, there is a sense of like getting stuck in what you want to do. Yeah. Right? Like kind of what you mentioned, right? Sometimes you just need it. Just need a small change here and there. Like be, we're not necessarily saying they need to be more free swinging because this team is pretty free swinging. Um, but maybe just be a willing to, you know, let's just say expand your strike zone in two strike counts. Right. Yeah. Um, or I, I'm not saying these are the things that will fix the twins. I'm just saying like, these are different strategies that you could be exploring, yeah. um, you know, sitting on more types of pitches, things like that. Um, one thing that comes to mind for sure is uh, I think it was the uh, shoot. Who were we playing? I believe we were playing the blue Jays um, and Gallo was up in the eighth with bases loaded and the pitcher. Oh, we were playing the Brewers. Sorry. This was the walk-off game against the Brewers. And, um, the the Brewers pitcher threw like a slider that was like like completely just in the zone like it should have been destroyed but Gallo was looking fastball yeah and he just you know it was a called strike and everyone's like what the heck's wrong it's because Gallo was looking fastball he thought that he thought that was a fastball out of the zone coming out of the hand right yeah and that, that's gonna be frustrating to us as fans but to in terms of hitting strategy that's like perfectly in line with what they were trying to do yeah, but totally like, sometimes you just need to deviate from strategy just a little bit in situations like that. Well, and to, and to that point about the two-strike approach too, um, this is completely 
unrelated from the point that they were trying to make. But if you listen to the Effectively Wild podcast, it's the Fangraphs mm. podcast with Ben Lindbergh yep. and Meg Rowley. Uh, they do great, a great job. One of my favorite podcasts. Anyway, they were talking about uh, in one of their episodes last week about two-strike approach. And mm-hmm. specifically, they're talking about in regards with Shohei Otani, who has one of the biggest drops in offensive productiveness mm-hmm. from any other count into a two-strike count. He had the third worst in all of baseball. So not just looking at who is the worst in those counts, but relative to how well you perform in every other count compared yeah. to two strike counts. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the third worst. The second worst uh, was Byron Buxton. The first worst was Joey Gallo. So <laughs> uh, I, I think that speaks to it too, right? Of like once you get to two strikes, they just look a little lost. Mm-hmm. And obviously those two aren't the only ones. I think you can say that about the lot, a lot of the lineup. Right. So yeah, it, it's just been a not bad approach, but maybe bad execution of the approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I did do some digging on the twins, like two strike counts over the, over the week. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but needless to say, they whiff a lot in two strike counts. <laughs> so uh, it ain't pretty. Yeah. Well, uh, now that we got all the pessimism out of the way, uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about the Baltimore Orioles and a little bit more uh, happy news, I suppose. All right, let's talk about the Orioles. Let's start with game one and finally a little bit of signs of life from the offense. Signs of life indeed. This was an 8-1 victory. Pablo Lopez was the starting pitcher. Six innings, one earned run, three hits, three walks, and six strikeouts. Uh, this was a great result in terms of the stats. If you looked at the underlying things, though, his command wasn't too great. Uh, the fastball and the curveball were still returning good results, but the changeup was a little bit all over the place. And um, slider also wasn't really doing too much. Neither of them were earning whiffs, mainly because they just weren't located in you know great ways that played off his fastball and curveball. But that's all right. It didn't matter because at the end of the day, only gave up one run. Six strikeouts was pretty solid, too. Uh, you don't love the three walks, but um, we'll take it. And of course, that was all helped by the fact that the offense decided to put up eight runs that day. Uh, Gallo, Kepler, Buxton all hit homers in this game, uh, putting up a combined six runs batted in. Of course, still had some strikeout issues, ended up with 11 strikeouts, but did have 13 hits on the night, which is a positive thing for the Twins. Yeah, the other positive was, I believe Pablo's walks, they were all in the first two innings. And so mm-hmm. I, I think part of that was then at that point, the offense had been going. I think they scored one in the first, one in the second, three in the third, three in the fourth. And so once you get to that point, you're not really pitching as carefully as you would otherwise. You're more just pounding strikes anyway. So, you know, good good situational pitching from Pablo. And obviously great to see the offense wake up. Uh, Gallo, Kepler, Buxton, all hitting home runs, I believe. It was... Just a good night, probably the most fun I've had watching the Twins in a very long time. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, watching the game at a at a bar, um, like kind of. It, I didn't have like the, the TV was like right in front of me, so I was like wasn't paying attention the entire time. Yeah, but I remember looking up and was like, "Oh wow, that's a pretty big score." Oh, it's only the fourth inning. Oh, it's going to be a while till this game's done. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, it's a pretty big score when they had three runs." I'm like, yeah, "Oh yeah, wow, exactly. incredible!" <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, oh, this game's going to take another half hour or something like that. Yeah, so. I- ironically, three w- three runs would have also won the next two games. So Yeah, uh, <laughs> which, you know, one of them turned out the way we wanted, the other one didn't. But uh, yeah, game two was a 1-0 victory. Uh, the shutout uh, part of it was thanks to Bailey Ober, who had seven shutout innings, uh, gave up two hits, eight strikeouts. Um, the fun thing here was that he opted less for less fastball usage in this start, choosing instead to use his other secondaries more. Changeup and slider were earning whiffs. Uh, and the changeup also by itself was getting some called strikes as well. So his best pitch in the night for sure. Fastball location was pretty solid, you know, high in the zone, typical Bailey Ober, uh, just good pitch separation overall. But this time it turned into a seven inning gem. Yeah. It, I mean, it was just beautiful from Bailey. It seemed like he was just throwing everything exactly where he wanted to, mm-hmm. which is what Bailey Ober has to do, right? He doesn't yep. have great stuff on any of his pitches, but he's very precise. And when he has it going like that, he's going to be very, very good. Exactly. Uh, of course, with a w- single run, uh, it was a big night <laughs> for the bats. Yeah. Uh, all the offense came from a Gallo solo homer in the fourth. Otherwise, um, the the mojo from that players meeting probably wore off a little bit. Twelve strikeouts total, seven hits, 
zero for four with runners in scoring position. Yeah. Well, and since it was the one Oh game too, this is what we were talking about where Ober was able to go seven, which was great. And then yep. Jack's for the eighth Duran for the ninth. And, yep. you know, we'll see in the next one where Sonny Gray was only able to go six, how that kind of backfired. And so it's great job by Bailey Ober. Great job by uh, the bullpen, but it, very clearly still pointed out those weaknesses that the twins have. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that game, game three was a two, one loss. Sonny Gray is a starter, six innings with two hits, no earned runs, three walks and seven strikeouts. His fastball and his slider were pretty solid. Five whiffs on the slider alone, eight called strikes with the fastball. So pretty solid outing there in terms of his pitches. Curveball wasn't completely back, but that's fine. Um, you don't love the three walks, but I really can't complain about six shutout innings. Of course, he did also get out of a bases loaded jam in the fifth where I believe he walked a guy, then he hit a guy. Um, and then it was just like, oh, dear, you know, is this going to be the classic Sonny Gray, like blow up in the fifth inning? And he has yeah. to be taken out. Um, and then, you know, we put in someone like Emilio Pagan. But no, he got through it, which was nice. Um, the interesting thing here was you know, he he was he did it. He came out of the sixth inning with around 87 pitches, something like that. Yeah, it was 87, like, I believe. Like mid 80s. Yeah, something around there. And uh you know, that, that kind of been one of the opportunity that Gray usually advocates for himself to come back in the seventh. You know, he's not he's feeling good. He still has maybe another 12, 15 pitches left in him. But he mentioned after the game that he was it was the weather was a little muggy. He wasn't really feeling great, didn't really have the energy um, to go any further. So that's why in the seventh uh, they started bringing in relievers. Yeah. Obviously, if he's saying he can't go, you're not going to make him go back out there, right? I don't think there's any coach that would do that or any manager that would do that. But this is a great situation where you would have loved for him to come back out there for the seventh because Mm -hmm. the bullpen is so limited where, you know, 87 pitch Sonny Gray is still better than any reliever besides Jackson Duran that we have right now. And so if he didn't feel like he could go, nobody's going to send him out there, but it would have been really nice if he could have. Right, exactly. So uh, after coming out in the sixth, Jax did come in for the seventh. Uh, solid outing from him. One strikeout in that inning. But then Duran ended up coming in the eighth um, and ended up giving up three straight hits. One of them was kind of a weird infield hit from Adley Rutschman, I believe. Um, yeah. And it dribbled down the first baseline. Duran kind of jogged, ran to it, and then just really poor throw to first base to be honest um and that led to an infield hit that probably should have been an out then gave up two more hits and then um with the bases loaded hit a guy uh that led into a rbi and that turned the game from a 1-1 tie to a 2-1 uh deficit yeah i mean i don't I'm not going to get mad at Duran for having one bad game, you know, like yeah. he he's saved our butts so many times before now that like there's nothing you can do. He's being, this was back-to-back nights. He hasn't really been used on back-to-back nights all that often. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it, it's just a different experience for him and we'll see what happens the second half, but he's been one of the best relievers in baseball. He would have been deserving of an all-star spot if he got it. He didn't, but yeah, he, he is not the problem in this game. Right, because ultimately the the offense still only was able to generate one run uh, against Cole Irvin, who, let's be reminded, was so bad at the beginning of the season, they sent him back to AAA. Yeah, um, so uh, eventually, ERA 7, I believe, coming into this game. Yeah, we were facing a quad A pitcher, essentially. Yeah. Um, and uh, we couldn't generate any offense. I mean, we got we had the bases loaded in the first, uh, two strikes, or two outs, sorry, and then Jeffers struck out on a fastball that was like, yeah, a couple inches off the plate. Uh, not the greatest look. Uh, we had two men on base in the fourth. Then Correa ended up popping out. Uh, Willie Castro was the only uh, player with an RBI here. Just, you know, not a great showing in terms of the offense of this game as well. Uh, ultimately was one for four with runners in scoring position. Um, left eight men on base. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those games where they, they didn't have that many strikeouts. They only struck out six times. They had uh, nine base runners, I believe, um, but just couldn't get anything going. Yeah, the uh, this game also featured the return of Jose Miranda, Mr. Yep. GDP himself, and true to form, he grounded into a double play. So uh, not surprising there. He'll be in the lineup pretty much every day from here until the All-Star break with mm-hmm. Royce Lewis out with an oblique strain. So. Yep. At this point, 
I don't know what else there's to say about the offense, right? Like, obviously, you would have loved for Duran to get through the eighth. You would have loved for Sunday Gray to go back out for the seventh. Mm-hmm. But it's just also, if you only give up two runs, you should win that game. And mm-hmm. there, there's just no way around that. The Twins know that. The coaches definitely know that. But here is the other thing. At the end of the day, you took two out of three from the Orioles, who have the second best record in the American League still, and have the third best record in all of baseball. And right. so... This is a good team. This is a very good team. They're not yep. – um, I, I think they have a lot of players that are maybe outperforming expectations. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, this point of the season, there's not any mistake teams that are this good. And right. so you took two out of three from them, and you'll take that any day of the week. Right. And if we're being really honest, we want to be generous. I mean, if you're watching the, the first inning of the game and we got the bases loaded – Part of the reason why the bases were loaded was because Cedric Mullins made an incredible catch yeah. in center field, yeah. um, and that basically, you know, prevented um, a, a double, more or less, a, a RBI double, I think. And um, yeah, that I mean, that's kind of how baseball is. You know, good players make good plays, um, but it seems like with the Twins, their good players are not necessarily making yeah. the plays when, when on a consistent basis. They they were hitting the ball hard, right? That that yep. first inning, especially like. That there's the great catch by Mullins. There were quite a few balls that were just scalded, and you couldn't get anything out of it. So yeah, there, there's definitely a team where I think you know we've seen this a lot where um, their expected batting average, which sometimes can be a little misleading um, on Statcast because it doesn't take into account like you know placement of um, of a uh, you know defense and things like that. So sometimes people are just in the right place in the right time. But they hit these balls, like, they hit the cover off the ball as well as pretty much any other team. Um, their hard contact, their hard contact rates probably lower on a team basis, but you know, guys like Correa are smoking the ball for like line drive outs. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate, but it's still one of those things where if you're, this is what we've been talking about all year where they're still hitting the ball pretty hard, Yeah. but somehow they're always just hitting it into somebody's glove. And so yeah. you figure it's got to turn around at some point, but you combine the unluckiness with the bad two strike approach. And then mm-hmm. it's almost like it's too much to overcome. Yeah. I mean, take it what you will. I was looking this up um, on, on hard contact uh, balls, like basically balls that they hit over 95 miles an hour. They're expected weighted on base average. So their X Woba or yeah, X X Woba mm-hmm. is uh, higher than their actual Woba. It's only by 20 points. So it's not like, they they're like an all-star team all of a sudden but um they are maybe not getting as much as they could be getting out of out of these hits yeah and again until you see a better approach overall i think it's hard to give the team the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. which is a lot of what rocco was getting at with his you know kind of as far as rocco waldelli goes it was pretty much a tirade for him right where he's complaining about stuff he's usually pretty positive oh there's good stuff here there's good stuff there and he's literally said there's no good things you can take away from this after getting swept Mm -hmm. by the braves right and so that that's just a lot what he was getting at i think too which is um when you don't have a good approach when you don't have a good plan whatever positives you do see almost seem like luck more than anything else. All right. Some other uh, news and notes before we wrap up here. Uh, Injury updates our weekly injury report. So the first one we already mentioned, Royce Lewis went on the 15 day IL with an oblique strain. Uh, He was trying to beat out a grounder to first. You saw him kind of pull up halfway through and really start grabbing at his side. Uh, oblique strains for anyone in baseball concerning, right? For pitchers, it's how you generate a lot of your velocity. For hitters, it's how you generate a lot of the torque on your swing. And so they'll they'll definitely be cautious with him, especially given his injury history. But Phil Miller of the Star Tribune did say that the Twins are hopeful. It's a minimum stay uh, with the All-Star break coming up to, you know, basically he'll sit out this next week and then he'll almost get a full extra week off uh, with the All-Star break. And then I think the hope is, is that coming out of that, he's ready to go. Uh, but we'll see as we get more updates there. Uh, this will mean that, like I said before, Jose Miranda will be in the lineup every single day just because if not him, it's going to be Kyle Farmer or Willie Castro who maybe they're slight offensive upgrades over Miranda, but you want the potential of Miranda in the lineup today. I don't think provided a lot of positives, but he had been hitting a little bit better at AAA before this call up. Yeah. Still not hitting for that much power, but uh, you know, looked like he was starting to take a few more walks, which was the big thing the Twins really wanted him to work on down there. Yeah, I, I don't really have much to talk about with Miranda. Um, it, it's, it hasn't been positive 
in AAA, but like you mentioned, he was getting a couple more extra base hits in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I love Miranda at that spot. I think Farmer makes a little bit more sense being the everyday third baseman, but if there's a time to see what you got out of Miranda, now is the best time to do it. Yeah, we'll be playing the uh, Royals next week. And so, you know, that that's a good chance just to maybe give some hitters a confidence boost. If nothing else, they have a very <laughs> poor pitching staff, to say the least. Um, so, yeah, I would expect we'll see Miranda pretty much there, especially because they really like to use Farmer as the late inning defensive replacement for Julian. And Julian, you need his bat in the lineup. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I would bet it's pretty much Miranda from here. It would be great if he showed any signs of offense, right? It would be great if anybody did. And so why not give him a chance? Because he was very reliable last year for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, next update we have is Brock Stewart. This was kind of the icing on top of everything going into that Brave series. Uh, he was placed on the 15-day injured list with elbow soreness, which is obviously never ideal for a pitcher. Uh, his agent claims that it's nothing serious in a tweet that he posted after it was announced. Uh, he is not exactly an unbiased opinion. He's just trying to uh, you know, get some positive PR around his client. Uh, Brock Stewart has pretty much been the Twins' second or third best reliever this year. If he is going to miss significant time or potentially the rest of the year, the Twins are going to be in a very, very, very bad spot with their bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing, too, to note is um, – sorry. The Jorge Lopez should probably be coming off the 10-day AL soon. It's actually a little bit surprising that they haven't activated him yet, uh, but he was on there for mental health reasons. Um Sorry, 15-day IL. So he's he's coming up on that, I believe, yesterday or today. Yeah. Um, so he should be joining the the bullpen soon-ish. Yeah. I mean, a week ago, you could argue that, you know, maybe there's not really a spot for Jorge Lopez with mm-hmm. De Leon pitching well with Stewart. Um, and you kind of need the long guy in there. But now it's like, okay, there's Oliver Ortega and Josh Winder and Jordan Balazovic. And then pretty much are going to have to be used in high leverage situations at some point. Um, You know, again, I I mentioned this before, if there's a way to send uh, Lopez down to AAA for a rehab uh, spot or two, I think that would be great. I don't know if that's available with the mental health injured list, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Frankly, I don't know if he's better or worse than those arms that I just mentioned though. So (laughs) Uh, Rocco also mentioned that, uh, Giovanni Moran and Jordan Balazovic are going to get some high leverage looks just because you have to have some other guys. Moran, I think, has been pretty up and down. He was rough at the start. He had really good in the middle, and he's been kind of rough his last few outings again. Uh, Balazovic, he's pitched so little uh, at the major league level. I don't think I have any great insights there. The only thing I do have is that in AAA, his first five or six appearances were out of the bullpen and he was really, really good in those. So Mm -hmm. maybe they've found something that they can unlock in shorter stints, kind of like they did with Griffin Jacks, or maybe it's just, this is the only option they have. Yeah. He is like you, like you mentioned that the, it it probably can't get worse. Yeah. Um, The other note I'll have here is with the all-star break teams do tend to be a little more liberal with their IL list usage just because, if they're going to miss, you know, three of the last four games that we have this week, well, why not put them on the 10 day injured list and give them a couple days off and get somebody else up, get some time because you have, uh, you know, that five, six day stretch, depending on the team without any games. And so, uh, that's something to maybe be on the lookout for too. If oh Max Kepler tweaked his ankle a little bit, oh, well, let's just get Larnick up here and see what he can do. Side note, I just remembered this and I want to call this out because I did not mention it during the game recaps. Max Kepler in that 1-0 win had one of the greatest catches I've seen from the Twins this year yeah. uh, where he went sliding into the wall. That was yep. incredible. I forgot to mention it earlier. Just wanted to make sure we called that out. It, he legitimately, like, we're, we're not even joking. Like, he's actually probably been one of the better Twins in the last week. Um, God, what a, Which is what a unfortunate to say, but like he's kind of played, he's played himself back into the lineup to the point where we're not necessarily clamoring for his head anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like if, and that's the other thing is Joey Gallo has also been playing a little bit better recently. And those are the two that had really, really been slumping. And so now it's like, okay, Matt Walner and Trevor Larnick can't stop hitting homers at AAA. Who would you yep. even get out of the lineup at this point for them? Right. Because they can't play third base. They mm-hmm. can't play second base. And so what do you even do? Anyway. Right. I mean, Kirilov has been performing a little bit worse as of late, but I'm not yeah, necessarily turning him down just to bring up uh, Matt Walner. 
Yeah. And he's, he's still been pretty consistently in the middle of the lineup regardless. So I think mm-hmm. the coaches do have trust in his uh, plate appearances. And he does have a pretty good approach, uh, yes. at least compared to some of the other hitters for the most mm-hmm. part, even if the results aren't always there. He's so. not always uh, just swinging wildly at a uh, break. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. The last note that we have here uh, before we wrap up is that the all-star rosters were announced today. Sonny Gray was the lone twins representative. Uh, kind of like we talked about last week, it was pretty much always going to be him, Ryan, or Duran. I was kind of hoping out, holding out hopes that maybe it could be Gray and Duran, but it will be only Sonny Gray. There will be some changes to this as we go to, you know, guys who aren't going to pitch, guys who are on the injured list. There's a few that are already on the roster who aren't going to make any appearances. Uh, Shane McClanahan, uh, a few others that I'm uh, losing right now, but there'll be replacements. I don't, the Twins definitely aren't going to have any offensive players taking that role. Uh, there's a chance that if you get down to Joe Ryan or Yohan Duran in the uh, pitching categories that they could make it. But um, yeah, that I, I think that's really good for Sonny Gray. This is his third all-star appearance. He's definitely deserved it. He had some rough starts, but his last two, especially he's been really, really good. Yeah. Can't complain. Um, surprised that a team leader in OPS, Willie Castro is not, not uh, called <laughs> up, but you know, it, it happens. And offensive uh, war, can't forget that either. Yeah, so. yeah, just just MVP in general, Willie Castro. MVP, who everybody was wondering if they were going to make the lineup. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, one other thing, I just kind of like to note this for fun because this happens every year. Every team gets an all-star representative, and so that means every year there are bad players that make the all-star team. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting is this year there were two for the AL team who I thought really didn't deserve it and none for the NL. So the two for the AL are AL Central people, the Royals and the Tigers. For the Royals, they sent Salvador Perez, who obviously has a great career, but this year has been a league average hitter, hasn't really done anything spectacular. Uh, and then for the Tigers, it was Michael Lorenzen, who has a 4.38 ERA and 6.7 strikeouts per nine inning, which is just awful for uh, all-star. <laughs> Yeah, Detroit's kind of in a tough spot where basically all their supposedly good players have been either injured or really, yeah. really bad. And um, all their pitchers have been pretty terrible, too. Uh, there's maybe an argument that they could have that maybe you sent Alex Lang, but he's also yeah. really bad. So the, the reliever spots are so limited that it's pretty hard to get one of those. Right. Um, the, the other player that they had, the Tigers, that really could have made it was Eduardo Rodriguez, who was pitching really, really well yep. until his finger like blew up, basically. Yeah. And he like the tendon like came, became completely disattached, uh, unattached. Anyway, he would have been a very deserving representative. Instead, you get Michael Lorenzen, who is not, to say the least. He's probably most famous for being a failed two-way player. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's still kind of annoying when you can draft him as an outfielder in like um in Yahoo leagues and things like that. Yeah, exactly. The Nike I was mentioning in the in the NL, I didn't really feel like there was anybody who didn't deserve it. The bad teams who normally you would expect that from were the Nationals and the Rockies. Uh, for the Nationals, it was Josiah Gray who's been very good this year, mm-hmm. and uh, for the Rockies, Elias Diaz, their catcher who's hitting like three thirty. So yeah. it's a course three thirty, granted, but still the both at least have stat lines that you're not like, oh, why is this person an all-star? Yeah, well, so I would say the one person that I don't think should have deserved it was Orlando Arcia. He's the starting yeah. shortstop. And, like, he's getting in because the Braves are incredible. So, yeah, um, you know, he's been – he, but he's nowhere near, like, the best NL shortstop, in my opinion. That That's probably true. But, again, that's one where it's like he's putting up good numbers, yeah. you know, and so yeah. I, it's it's not horrible. No, it's not like a bad pick, but it is. No. A lot of people were kind of clouding the uh, the, the, <laughs> the major leagues for having. Yeah, it, it's no Michael Lorenzen. <laughs> That's true. It is no Michael Lorenzen. He's at least a little bit more deserving than that. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, there were some former twins that were on the All Star roster as well. Luis Arise continuing his quest to hit 400 as the starting second baseman. And then uh, on the AL team, Yenier Cano got one of those coveted uh, bullpen spots for the Orioles. And Brent Rooker, who is still hitting pretty well for the A's, really the only A that had any realistic chance of making the team anyway. Yeah, I don't think anyone else came to close to deserving a spot on that on that um, All Star roster. <laughs> Yeah, not not even close. But again, Brent Rooker at least falls into one where it's like the underlying stat numbers are okay. Even mm-hmm. if like if he was on a better team, he definitely wouldn't be an all star. So right. doesn't quite make my worst all stars list this year. <laughs> um, all right, quick look ahead to next week. Uh, they have six games uh, all at home, which will be good against the Royals, and then again against the Orioles. The Royals, who again are just the worst. 
like I almost categorize this as worse than the A's because the Royals weren't trying to be this awful. The A's were actively trying to lose to spite yeah. the city of Oakland. Yeah. Uh, the Royals were not trying to do this and they might end up being worse than Oakland anyway. And so you got to take all three from them basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, if this isn't if if this isn't a sweep, um, it will have been a disappointing series. Yeah, it, it'll be disappointing if they don't take two out of three. I think it's you know, DefCon one. It's disaster time. So yeah. Uh, and then again, the Orioles will will see them. It'll be good. They matched up with them well. The offense uh, definitely needs to score more, but still for the series, they technically outscored them uh, ten to three. So <laughs> <laughs> that's Te- one way to look at it. Yeah. Twins have a good run differential basically because I, this is going to be a side note really quick before we yeah. wrap up, but people love to use run differential as like, Oh, you know, the twins are playing like a, this win team. It yeah. doesn't count for the twins because they always are. They never lose by that much because their pitching has been so good. Right. Um, and then they have these big offensive explosions. So of course their run differential is going to look pretty good. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it is kind of funny. I mean, people have shown the, these stats all the time, but like the run differential between all the teams in the AL central, and just how um, Minnesota is the only team that has a positive run differential yeah. uh, in the AL Central. And uh, yeah, it just, um, it's not pretty. Uh, run differential, it, it tells part of the story. I mean, like the A's have the, the worst run differential in the league by far. Um, but um, it is funny that the Twins have the only positive run differential in the AL Central. Yeah, definitely. The, uh, the, it's like we talked about last week. They're turning into the Minnesota Guardians, so... Ooh, rough <laughs> rough indeed all right uh we'll we'll wrap up there uh as always be sure to check out our work at uh twinkie town if you're interested in all your minnesota twins coverage if you are worried about not being able to get information on twitter because of the impending uh twitter apocalypse we will have you covered on twinkie town regardless uh and then you can check out john at pitcher list as well for all of your fantasy baseball needs john fantasy tip for the week this week uh, if you're looking for a guy with middle infield eligibility, Hassan Kim, uh, I think he's available in like 50% of leagues or something like that. But um, he's got a nice schedule coming up, and he's been playing decently well. Nice. Well, there you go. The uh, bad vibe Padres, maybe still a good fantasy pickup in there. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. For now, you can still follow us on Twitter. You can follow John at the John Ka and myself at Ben Jones underscore five. Uh, and be sure to follow the pod as well at Twins Talk Pod. Uh, Again, be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you like what you heard, and we'll be back next week to talk more Twins. 